This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. There's nothing that the first time you you launch an arrow out of a bow, you can't equate that to anything you do with a rifle. There's absolutely nothing like it in the firearms world. I mean, even... I would venture to say crossbows because you're still shooting that that rifle style right there's nothing that compares to it it's it's a completely different animal and that was you know again going back to learning curves it was like oh this is way different than i thought it was gonna be so oh you got her dude she's down let's go dude i just shot a deer of a lifetime Freaking smoked him. Born with nature, and if you're a believer, one with God. Definitely get your heart pumping. Boy, you are in trouble. All Obsession Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to another Fall Obsession Podcast episode. I'm Sam, I'm your podcast host for this week. Our podcast is driven by Ridge Rock Hunt Company, and you guys will learn a little bit more about them later on in our episode today. I'm sitting down here in person with uh, a gentleman I've gotten to know over the past several months a lot better. Um, and we're here to tell your story, Mike, a story that, um, to my knowledge, may have not been told on a scale like this before. Definitely but not. We, uh, we want to share it. So Mr. Mike Barons is my guest this week. Mike, if you uh, start us off, just kind of give us an idea on who you are and kind of your background, where you come from and all that good stuff. Well, first, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It was a long drive, but I did make it. <laughs> uh, yeah, was crossing that road was rough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I grew up in Iowa. I am a prototypical farm kid. I chucked hay bales as a kid and did all that fun stuff. Never really got into any hunting or anything like that outside of shooting a pellet gun and knocking down crows and stuff like that. But um, we were athletes too, so I spent most of my youth playing sports and doing all that fun stuff and then helping on the farm outside of those practice times and game times. Um, And then from there, 
Um, just kind of went on, did the whole college thing, ended up joining the the uh, National Guard in Iowa in uh, 97. So that dates me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I joined the National Guard in 97, went through, did, uh, I think it was like 10 years or something like that. Uh, got out for about three years and missed it a little bit too much to, to deal with, so I ended up doing another six. And that, that satisfied me yeah. in full. So, but what I didn't know at the time, which this kind of leads into another guest you recently had. Yes. Um, what I didn't know at the time was a lot of the stuff that, you know, I thought was just normal wear and tear on the body as you get older wasn't normal wear and tear. So uh, enter Mr. Demshock, who, uh, you know, he guided me through a process and he kind of elaborated on that a few weeks back. But, uh, yeah, he guided me through a process and that whole process ended up um, really kind of freeing things up and helping me get not necessarily back on my feet, but more on my feet. Yeah. Um, you know, getting some things taken care of that I didn't know could be taken care of and things like that. So, um, yeah, a lot more, a lot more physical now than I ever thought I would be, uh, as far as that goes. But, um, you know, outside of working for the railroad right now, which is where I met him, um, I'm pretty much just, uh, hanging out and doing my woodworking stuff and, and, uh, playing around in the backyard yeah so a lot of work i mean i mean you know the the property that we have now it's it's way more than than i expected to get i was looking for like you know one or two acres or something like that you know yeah. just something to build a shop on but um yeah going from uh you know what 150 200 acre farm down to an eighth of an acre in town with neighbors six feet away from you on either side yeah and then getting back out to this, this was really a breath of fresh air. So it's, you know, kind of tapping back to where I came from a little bit too. And which is nice. Yeah. Cause I never, ever get to go back up to Iowa. I mean, it's like once every three years. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about, that's a good segue into the, the property that you have right, right <laughs> here a long way away from me, but, uh, you've kind of, you've kind of had a discovery this year, you know, uh, coming into that property and, and learning what it holds. So t just tell us a little bit about your place. Well, it was weird because we, we drove past this property probably five times while we were house hunting. And this was right at the end of COVID. Everything was, uh, all our, you know, home prices were just skyrocketing. Everything is getting outrageous, but we still weren't at that interest rate hike that we had now. So we're, mm -hmm. we're in a pretty good spot, you know? So we started looking pretty hard, um, did a lot of fixing up on the old house, which Oddly enough, I had the equipment for, and uh, yeah, we get out here to this place, and I'm like, wow, 15 and a half acres. I was like, I don't know about them power lines, though. You know, we get out here, and once we're on the ground, you don't even notice them. Yeah. You know, I mean, really, the only reason that I that I do notice them is because of the easement. Right. But um, other than that, I mean, because I can't touch it. But other than that, I mean, I don't even know that they're there. It's just, you know, standard. Yeah. Standard business. Yeah. I mean, we had power lines on the farm and everything too, so yeah. it wasn't a big deal. So, um, yeah, I ended up, you know, getting talked into visiting this property by my wife. So we come out and we look and I was like, man, there is a lot that I could do with this. And we hadn't even seen the back. So, um, the seller's father was here 
and he gave us a little bit of a guided tour which was pretty normal every property we went to that was over 10 acres the owner was there to give us a tour of yeah. it so uh, which i thought was cool uh pretty good dude uh we had a lot of talks he's you know built cut from the same cloth that cloth that i am yeah so uh, we went around and looked around and everything. He took us back and, you know, showed us a little bit with the pond and everything, um, which, by the way, washed out <laughs> within the last eight months. So we got to put that back. A little dry this year. Yeah, yeah a little bit. Um, so, yeah, we went back there and I looked at it. We didn't realize it at the time, but we only saw about seven acres of the property at that point. Really? We didn't even see half of it. Hmm. So... We ended up just buying the place because the price was what we thought was very, very reasonable. So, yeah, yeah, we ended up getting it. Came out here and, you know, through a few chat sessions with, with my wife and everything, we are just like, you know, we could hunt this too. So let's maybe grab some game cameras and put them back there. Because we were already getting some of that equipment for the deer lease that we had gotten on. So, you know, the theme for this the whole thing is first year for everything. Yeah. <laughs> um so we get back there and, and I put up a couple of cameras and uh, got one of my little cheapy Moultrie feeders, you know, the, the $100 variety. Yeah. And, uh, well, realized real quick that I had a herd back there that mm -hmm. I was not ready for. <laughs> they were eating probably, if I would have let them, they probably would have ate 200 pounds of feet a week, if not more. Wow. Um, they figured out how to stretch up, the bucks did. Midsummer, as soon as I got that feeder out there within two weeks, they were figuring out how to stretch up and lick that spinner. And it was a free for all all night long. I would go out there and fill it, and two days later, it'd be empty. Wow. So that went on for a while. And then I decided to raise it up, which uh, then they got emotional, which, as you know, deer <laughs> will get emotional. I found that out. They took their ball and went home. <laughs> So I made them mad and they left. All the bucks left. All I had were uh, my two does, Sandy and Karen, and uh, their kids. And that was it. That's all I had left for about a month and a half. Yeah. And uh, then it got a little bit too dry, so they came back. Yeah. So. so, but on top of that, the caliber of deer that we're talking here, <laughs> not what you were expecting, no. I would imagine. Not at all. I mean, you, you started showing me trail cam pictures that you had from back there and i'm like holy cow i need at least mike's property across across the street from me hey man is this a good deer is this one worth shooting you're like yeah that's a good deer yeah mike he shows me this picture of i don't know have you even put a tape to him uh no not yet the the 10 point is at the taxidermist yet and we didn't end up taking demon this year he he filled out he's spectacular right now yeah I mean, that deer has got muscle striations all over his body. I mean, you can see the individual muscle groups in his, in his hindquarters. Everything is clearly defined. And he sprouted another tine, too. So he's an eight-pointer now. Yeah. And his rack is still just as tall as ever. Wow. So we decided to leave him alone this year. Yeah. It's a good call. Yeah, you're, you're showing me photos of these deer that are... 140 class pushing 150 class deer that are walking around back there and it's just it's absolutely crazy to think about you know right literally in your own backyard very so. much very much so uh the 10 i did do a real i mean granted i'm not a pro at all on this so it was pretty much just like well let's see what we got so i mean yeah. it's not hard to look up the the requirements so 
I went in and I looked everything up and I filled out what I thought was a pretty close approximation to what they were wanting. And, you know, that 10 pointer should have been, if he wouldn't have broken his, his, uh, G two, I believe he would have been a 156. Wow. Something like that. So, wow. uh, not bad for a deer that hasn't ever been fed to my knowledge. Yeah. So, well, kind of for our listeners, viewers, kind of a little sneak peek there into how that story <laughs> ends, I guess. But um, leading up into that ending, it was it seemed like a lot of cat and mouse going on throughout the year that you experienced as you were it was. learning how to hunt these deer. It was. Uh, and and I, I always joke, you know, coming from an infantry background, I always joke, it's like, man, hunting deer is way harder than hunting humans, <laughs> you know? And I mean, it's a joke, but yeah, it, it's there's a lot of truth to it too, because they, they have... a infinitely better sense of smell than we do infinitely better sense of hearing than us and i would argue much better eyesight too i mean uh i know they can't see the the reds and greens and things like that but beyond that i mean their clarity the uh, another example of me getting taught mm -hmm. i i got learned one day yeah and it was opening day of rifle season and i'm sitting back there in a ghillie suit with a rifle tucked in between two post oaks you would have walked right past me and not even known I was there. 60 yards away, this probably 18, 20 inch spread six point that has to be four and a half years old, which I don't know how he ends up only being a six, but weird things happen. Yeah. Uh, he spots me from 60 yards away, <laughs> stops dead in his tracks and stares me down. Yep. Okay. Well, guess I'm moving. <laughs> <laughs> so I got learned a lot. Yeah with uh with these animals they they did a lot of a lot of teaching they you know they're they're comedic as i'll get out i, I get a kick out of watching them too yeah um, but yeah they uh they did teach me a lot they taught me a lot about wind and a lot about uh things that i didn't really have to worry about when we were doing you know like military operations things like that i mean it was just like we just went in and we did what we had to do here mm -hmm when it doesn't matter if you're 150 200 yards out or if you're 26 yards away in a bovine you got to know what direction that wind's at you've got to know how hard it's blowing you got to know what your terrain's doing to the wind is it swirling it down at the bottom of the hill what's it doing i mean you have mm -hmm. um if, if you're not accustomed to natural wind markers you know you just put your own flags out do all those little things everything was a learning curve for me that that i knew that i had to do really really fast or I was going to roll a donut this year. Yeah. So. Yeah. Now wind is definitely. I, I mean, I, I'm I'm still having to play with it and learn it and stuff. <laughs> it it's something that is just so so frustrating. And and I know our our last <clears throat> excuse me our last week's podcast was you know my dad and I sitting down in deer camp you know the the final weekend of general season, but it was before this hunt in particular. And I haven't told you this story, but I had my target buck, my eight point that I wanted to kill and it's literally the last morning he's he's been coming in 7:15ish every single almost every single morning. Mm -hmm. So final morning Sunday morning I'm sitting there I'm my stand faces west in my tree stand my feeder and I have a a southwest wind blowing. I did scent control everything like that and um all the deer that I've seen all year in that stand have come from the west or the north. And I'm I'm looking at him like, yeah, the north is a little iffy with that wind, but this is the last day. It's the only shot I'm going to have this buck. I got a chance at this. is the only stand he's coming to. And 7.13, I'm staying there. It's getting light. I'm scanning. And I look over my shoulder to my right, and he is behind me 
40 yards <laughs> staring right at me. And I'm instantly, you know, you see a big deer and you get, you're supposed to get excited. You know, guys talk about getting excited. As soon as I saw that deer, I was disappointed because I knew uh -huh. exactly what was happening. If you pointed your finger in the direction the wind was blowing, you'd be pointing at that deer. Only deer all year I've seen come out from that side. Yep. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. So I, I understand the struggle. <laughs> they, they will shock you at every turn. And I found that out the hard way multiple times. Yep. So yeah, yeah one of my first weekends bow hunting out at the, at the Deerleys, I, I didn't know what I was going to see, if anything, cause they were really sporadic out there at that point in time. But, uh, I got out there and, and, uh, yeah, it was my fourth or fifth sit in this uh, ground blind that I made out of some, uh, some cheap amazon camo netting that faded within like three hours <laughs> so don't get that it doesn't work really well um but yeah i got that and i was set up out there you know of course me not knowing anything about bow hunting at that point i'm thinking okay well i'm out here i'm on the ground yeah i'm broken up with the camo netting but i need to break up further so what's what do guys like me do I throw a ghillie suit on <laughs> That's a horrible idea. <laughs> that was a horrible, horrible idea. <laughs> so, I mean, first of all, here's the deer surprise. They like to come in with the wind in their face too. They they like that directional so they can they can smell. Yeah. Well, I didn't bank on that. So I'm sitting up there north of my feeder, and the winds prevailing winds are always blowing south to north and with some minor direction changes. Well, these does that were coming in every single day, they were button hooking around from the south. They would button hook, take a wide berth, come all the way around to the north, and then come in from de dead north, hmm. right on top of my blind. Hmm. Three times, they stopped right behind me, barked at me, and left. Really? I was a little frustrated yeah. at that point. Yeah, that, that gets frustrating for sure. So I decided that I was going to not do that anymore. So I left the blind there so they knew nothing was really crazy going on or anything like that. You know, everything was pretty normal still. There just wasn't a, a human in there. So then they came right back. As soon as I left, the very next feed time they were there. Yeah. Okay, well, I guess it was me. So didn't do that anymore. <laughs> That's when I went and got that the pop-up blind. Yeah. And uh, set that off to... Basically, if you were in my bow blind, it would have been probably the eight o'clock position. So still out of the wind window yeah. when they're at the feeder, but it was a you know, decent 25 yard shot, depending on where they were standing. Uh, only downside was you had to play the wind because the wind out there is insane when yep. it wants to be. Yep. So you're looking at even at 26 yards, a pretty good float right there. Mm -hmm. So, and it, I mean, there were times where remember the, the storm day yep i remember the storm day that's right yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm out there holding on to my ground blind so it doesn't fly away because i got caught in it and i'm texting i'm like dude get out of your blind yeah so our our properties for those who don't know i i i don't know what they are as far as the crow flies but they're an, an hour or so more apart from each other probably and yeah it was it was actually uh our our fall obsession production director and I were out hunting on our property and him and I were both in stands and we had a storm coming in and it hit, hit you first. <laughs> and you're texting me like, Hey, if you can get out of your blind, get out now. And about the time I read that text is when it started raining. Yeah. I was like, Nope, I'm, I'm here to stay for a little bit. <laughs> it was, that was a brutal storm. I, did, I was not ready for that, but I did not come out empty handed either. That's true. That's true. So that was, that was my, 
that was my consolation gift yeah. for getting beat up by Mother Nature. And I just, it was one of those things, I shouldn't even have gotten that. But I, uh, yeah, after that whole thing's done, I'm like, okay, well, this is my last hunt out here anyway for Bo, so I'm going to pack up the blind and I'm going to leave. So I get the side-by-side -side out there, which my side-by-side -side is super quiet. <laughs> super quiet. Um, yeah, so anything within five miles could hear me driving that thing. Um, <laughs> so I get up there, and I'm just like, I don't even care anymore because the wind and rain and everything pushed everything out. Everything was still hunkered down. I'm making all kinds of noise with this uh, high-end piece of equipment. <laughs> and uh, I just had this feeling in the back of my head. I was like, check the other camera. Check the slow bow. Yeah, yeah, I'll just go home. So I, I get it up there and I'm climbing out and, and I'm just started to pull up stakes on it and it just wouldn't leave me alone. Hmm. There's just something in the back of my head, check the slow bow. Fine. So I check the slow bow. Sure enough, there's a pig down there, about 125 pounder. Hmm. Perfect eater. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Now I got another decision to make. Yep. Do I want to do it or not? Because I mean, Again, super quiet side by side. <laughs> it was going to be a long stalk to get there. And I had to go over two barbed wire fences with a 50 Beowulf rifle <laughs> and all this. And I, yeah, it was awesome. So I'm stalking this pig and I get over the first set of barbed wire and I get over the second set of barbed wire and I'm coming up to where I knew he was at. So I checked the, the feed on my phone again. Yeah, he's still there. He's rooting around. And I get up top, and right when I turned the uh, the optic on and got my side picture on him, I was like, uh-oh. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> no ears. <laughs> no ears. <clears throat> so I was like, well, how do I do this? So what I ended up doing was I, I'm a right-handed shooter, so I've got the rifle shouldered on the right, and I take my left arm, and I pressed my shoulder into my left ear as I was sighted in on this pig. And I used my hand, I wrapped it around my head, and I pressed my ear closed on the other side. Yeah. So I shot this pig one-handed with a 50 caliber <laughs> rifle with my hand wrapped around my head, protecting my ears. <laughs> and I got him. Heck yeah. I got him. So he took off. It wasn't a great shot, but it blew his heart completely out. And I mean, everything it was a sharp downhill angle. So, so how quiet was your side by side after that shot? Uh, it was, I didn't hear a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, I heard him squealing when he ran away. So it, it, yeah, it was, it was one of those shots where he was running on pure adrenaline. He didn't even know he was out yet. Because uh, when I when I ended up field dressing him and everything, there was no heart left. Yeah, it was completely yeah, gone. Yeah, on the so. pig that size. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that I, I mean, I, I would like to say I haven't missed with that rifle, but every time I didn't miss because of my own stupidity. Uh, normally, it's math related or you know the the calculations, the trig, and all mm -hmm. that stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, I do something stupid, and then I look at it after. I'm like, oh, I know better than that. <laughs> so I've done that twice. And it was just stupid mistakes. Those are the only two misses I've had. But that that rifle is so much fun with the pigs. It's it's a good time. Um, but I still want to get one with the bow. I haven't gotten one with the bow yet, and that's this year's mission. Yeah. So so that that was kind of another thing I wanted to talk to you about because the the archery side of hunting is is kind of the, I guess your newest yes newest venture into hunting aside from from the property you have here and everything. This is your first year bow hunting. 
So what, uh, what were some of the, the driving factors into that? And then what'd you end up getting and, and let's go through that process of you learning that and everything. A lot of it was, it was based on safety and my comfort level of shooting in the backyard. Yeah. Cause it's 15 acres, but we've got a lot of neighbors. Yeah. So I didn't really want to be ripping off high powered rifle rounds. Mm-hmm. And because of that, but I also wanted to make sure that anything that I did shoot was going to be an ethical kill. I didn't want anything, you know, getting wounded, which we can get into that here in a minute. <laughs> um, you know, so I wanted everything to, to be that high level of lethal, you know, ethical and making sure that I was also being very safe around the neighbors and everything. I didn't want even, even neighboring cattle in the pastures. I didn't want anything zinging off of a tree branch and, you know, it's just not, it's not something that I was looking for. So we did a lot of looking and, you know, like every other newbie, I went to Cabela's. So there I was. (laughs) (laughs) And, and I had, you know, I did some research, you know, I, there, if, when you're talking rifle stuff, I could talk to you all day long and, and give you intricacies and details and things like that. But you're talking about a bow. I'm like, yeah, it's got the little arms and the, the little circle things up there and it's got a string and you shoot a stick out of it. It's pretty neat. <laughs> and that was about, that, that's the depth of my knowledge on bow hunting at the time. I was like, I, I had never shot an arrow out of a bow yeah. until this summer. Yeah. So and I told the guys up there that, and, and to their credit, they did pretty well. They took their time. They made sure that I knew a lot of, you know, things that I wouldn't have known otherwise, you know, just the sighting and making sure, you know, where you're holding and, and all these, just the, the smallest of small things that really ruin a bow hunter from the first day, mm-hmm. um, whether it be just technique or frustration and I quit. Yeah. So they, they did really well in that regard. And I, I was happy. I had the guys that I did that, that sold me the bow, but I ended up getting a, a diamond by Bowtech and it is still as stock as it was the day I bought it. <laughs> um, so I've done nothing with it. I know we've talked a little bit about putting new sights on and, and coming from the rifle world, that single pin is just something that really appeals to me because yeah. it's it's more akin to a front sight post, which is what I've been doing for, you know, 30 years. Yeah. So um, we're still looking at that, you know, as far as, you know, what my setup wants, what I want the setup to be and, and different things like that. But I do like the adjustable nature of those types of optics. Mm-hmm. Um, the one you showed me kind of got me really thinking about that, you know, and, yeah. and just being able to dial in is way better than, you know, doing doing a mid hold between pins. Yeah. And say, man, I hope I'm right. So, yeah, the, the mid hold between pins. I mean, I, I still, I run a, a hybrid basically, which you still have the adjustability factor like the single pin offers with those longer distances, but I'm still shooting pins out to 60, which when I built that bow, it was going out West, in which case, you know, you have quick shot opportunities mm-hmm. and you know you have to be able to to draw back and and dial in quickly you know if you come up on something that's close so with that being said that's what made me decide hey I, 60 yards I, I want it already there if it's farther than 60 I'm gonna have the time to adjust mm-hmm. if that's the case so that was my thought process behind it but hunting hunting whitetails in Texas a single pin can definitely can definitely be a yeah. and 
an asset and help make you a better shooter in my opinion so and and especially in, in the close proximity in the backyard yeah, exactly. um, you know it's i could probably say i would shoot a 40 yard shot back there but there's only two lanes where you can do that from where i'm set up um other than that, I mean, you're pretty much roped in at about 28 yards max. Well, well, even then, you know, I mean, you think about how often these these deer, pigs, or whatever, you know, yeah, you might see them coming from out there, mm -hmm. and they come through that 40-yard window, but they they come into your food source, and they come in closer. Mm -hmm. So, like, I've, I've been bow hunting for better half of two decades almost now at this point, and it's just... I think I've only shot two animals over 40 yards. I've never shot an animal over 50 yards. I've, I've practiced out into the triple digits before, mm -hmm. but I've, I've killed a pronghorn antelope at 42, and a, there was one whitetail, the longest one I think I've shot was at 48. That's, yeah. that's two shots in 16 years. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there you go, yeah. you know? So... So, yeah, I, I, I did the practicing, you know, on the driveway and everything. I did that out to 50 yards, and, you know, I was, I was putting them in there in about a four-inch circle with, you know. To me, I thought that was decent, you know, with a stock bow. hadn't done anything, you know, major with it. And, you know, I was happy with it considering at that point when I stretched it out to 50, I had only been shooting for about four weeks at that point. And uh, then I, I realized that you, you get what you pay for when you're buying releases too. Yep. So that first release I had lasted about five weeks and then all the seams broke on it. And thank God it broke when I was drawing back instead of at full draw. Yeah. Um, so that's when I started doing my, you know, my normal fix it stuff with all the toys and stuff I have in the garage. And, and I ended up taking the exact same one and I said, I'm gonna make you work. <laughs> and, uh, went and got a little punch kit and, and put my little metal studs in there and, it's held. Yeah. It held all the way through. I mean, I've shot 300 plus arrows out of that bow with that same one and there's no give to it at all. Yeah. So it, yeah, do what you gotta do. So it works, but, um, yeah, I think next year I will, uh, get a little bit better, better release for that. Bow. <laughs> there's a few things that we're going to improve, but it was, it was a good learning curve and, and, you know, going out there and really it's it, all things considered, you know, like I was talking about learning about the ghillie, which was, Oh man, I can't even tell you how stupid I feel thinking that I was going to be able to get away with that. <laughs> but you know, it was a nice thought and you can shoot with a ghillie. You just can't have anything on your chest, which yep. defeats the purpose of a ghillie. Yeah. Cause yeah. So I abandoned that very quickly and, uh, cause I, I ended up missing three deer in the backyard. Well, two deer, one twice. Um, so I, the first one I missed because of me trying to outthink myself was, uh, one of the does and I, you know, and, and I'm glad I missed both times because that was a shot taken out of frustration because I had been skunked three weeks in a row out of Throckmorton and I wanted to put something in the freezer in October and I was getting real frustrated about it. And that's just, you know, I'm, I'm the type of person that I'm driven by success factors and, you know, if, I am not sure that I can do something. I won't do it until I'm sure I can do it. You know, which is, you know, when you go to like the woodworking and things like that, I'll run that program a hundred times on the computer to simulate what it's going to do. And I'll measure and remeasure and re zero and do all these calibrations on the machine before I even turn that router on. Mm -hmm. 
and I very rarely have a screwed up piece of wood. Very rare. Um, so I applied that same thing to the bow hunting and everything. And, and, uh, that's why I was getting frustrated because all these things that I was absolutely certain would work are not working. Right. So I had to change and that's where, you know, I started joking. I'm like, man, these things are really different than what I was used to. So yeah, I miss, uh, I missed the doe, the first shot. Um, one of the ghillie strings got caught in the bow string. Mm slowed it down and dragged the boat down. So I shot underneath her at 14 yards. Wow. How did you miss at 14 <laughs> yards? <laughs> I could throw a spear and hit her at 14 <laughs> yards. So I miss. And, you know, this is the same deer that was trying to lick me in the middle of the night when I was doing uh, coon control. Yeah. Uh, had my, my Vapple cover scent. Yeah, we got you got you yes. onto the Vapple train a yes. little bit. Yes, yep. that, that stuff, man, that works so well. <laughs> <laughs> she wouldn't leave me alone. She kept coming back. Every time I moved my head, she'd bark and run off, and then five minutes later, she's standing right there staring at me again. This is in the pitch black. All, all she could do was smell me. She knew something was there. It smelled delicious. Yeah. And there was nothing she wanted more than to get past that camo net, but she couldn't do it. So... You know, we, we had a relationship built, me and these does. And, you know, me trying to take a shot at them out of frustration and everything. And thank God I missed. And she ran away and she was at the 30-yard mark. And she just looked at me with this utter look of betrayal on her face. <laughs> I'm like, sorry. And I ripped off another one. This one caught my camelback tube. Oh, no. Dragged that one low, too. Spiked that arrow right in between her, her front and rear legs, right in the ground. And... She looked at it, looked at me, looked at it, and took off running again. I was like, all right, I'm, I think I might be done with the bow this, this season. <laughs> might be done. So there was one weekend left, I think, in, in bow season, and I was just like, all right. And I think I had talked to you in the meantime. You kind of talked me off the ledge a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I was ready to put it in the case and just get the rifle out at that point. Um, but, yeah, so I went out to Throckmorton one more time, and that was where uh, finally had a little bit of success. So got out there and there were three bucks that were there right at, right before first light. And I could see them. I could see the silhouettes and we're just waiting, waiting, waiting until the light was right. And the light finally came through and there was the biggest of the three. I thought he was an eight pointer. So, but he was big. He was, he was definitely one of the, the many, many bucks that age that we needed to cull out. This year was the year of culls out there yeah. because there was just so many bucks. So I was like, well, I'm not going to feel bad about taking this one. So I went and I, uh, I had everything lined up and, and, uh, in hindsight, I had zero, zero business taking that shot. I didn't realize how difficult of a shot I just took, uh, not because of any wind conditions or anything like that, but the buck just would not position himself at that quartering away position. He was almost, oh, I'd say about 1030 heads 1030 away from me gotcha so it was very very sharp very severe yeah. i had about a three maybe four inch window to slide that arrow in to hit organs wow somehow i did it <laughs> didn't realize what i did at the time um so yeah this this buck takes off running the only thing i see is a candlestick on his rear on his rear haunch and i was like did i just do a texas hard shot <laughs> <laughs> I panicked, you know, and I did the one thing you're not supposed to do. 
I started following. Mm. I saw him go, and I was like, I can't let him go if I hit him in the leg. I'm not letting him go. I got to get him. So I wanted to make sure that I kept him in eye shot. You know, I wanted to make sure I could see him. So he's going, he's going, he's going, and then I lose him. And I'm like, okay, cool, he's down. So, and I knew he wasn't gonna, he wasn't gonna be down long. You know, if I if I made that horrendous of a shot, then he was gonna be running. So I had to sneak on him. I had to stalk him. I had to make sure that I had a, a good shot, and I had to figure out where he was at. So I, I get up there, and I, I couldn't find this candlestick at all. Couldn't find the lighted knock to save my life. Hmm. And then, about ten feet away from me, he pops out like an exploding birthday cake. I mean, just out of the grass, gone. And he ran another 140 yards with this arrow sticking out of him. And I thought I needed to change my pants. Yeah. He scared the crap out of me. Yeah. Um, so I get down there where I last saw him and it was a hundred yards to the fence from where I was at. And I saw him jump over that fence and I'm like, dude, he's not even hurt. I was like, am I even sure that I hit him? Did, did something happen to where it just, you know, it fell out or what? Cause I could still see the arrow. Like it was flopping. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't even understand what's going on right now. So I get up there and you know, everything was so far out of my mind other than finding this deer, you know, and it wasn't anything like, Oh, I got to get my buck. You know, I was like, Oh no, I, I've got a wounded deer, you know? And, and I was like, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to get close enough with a bow to kill this thing. Mm-hmm. So now what do I do? What's the ethical thing to do? Do I get a rifle? And you know, I mean, what do I do? Right. You know, so I'm freaking out. And before I started making phone calls and saying, Hey, what do I do? I was like, I'll just look around this area one more time. And this was down by the side by side where he jumped the fence. About 40 yards past the fence, I was about ready just to, you know, slump over and give up. Look over and I see this this little light sticking out of the grass. I was like, <clears throat> no way. He's down. <laughs> so I go up there and, and what I thought was an eight point, he didn't have any brow tines. They never grew. Really? And then he had that goofy little, like, I don't know, it, it looked like a little ball on the end of, of his uh, main beam. Hmm. So he had a goofy rack. I mean, he had some issues going on, but he was decent sized. I mean, we got as much meat out of him as we did Carrie's big one that she, that she got out there. So, yeah. I mean, he was good sized body. He just had a weird, funky looking rack. Yeah, just a cold book. Yep. So where did, you said he was severe core in a way. You had a narrow window. How, how deep did your arrow end up penetrating? So I, my arrow shaft is 31 inches long and there was blood 27 inches deep on the arrow. Really? And I went in right behind the last rib on the left side. Well, as you're looking at, if you're looking him in the face on the right side, I went in behind the ribs and it went through at that sharp angle went through I, I did nick his stomach so his his stomach was open yeah well but, that shot you can't yeah, help but do that no way around it um straight through two inch wide gash on the liver and so he was there was blood everywhere yeah when he went down finally i mean it was yeah it was horrible there's blood everywhere <laughs> <laughs> the the court came out yeah um but yeah through the liver through the right lung and it embedded in a bone in a rib bone on the other side Mm. right up on the front towards the shoulder gotcha so um i mean i hit as as well as i think i could have other than maybe going maybe another inch or two inches to the left and maybe down an inch and trying to get the heart but at that 
you know, experience-wise, there was no way I was going to be able to tell. I mean, I don't even think two, three years down the road I'd be able to tell on a shot like that. It's just like, oh, I got him, and he's down, sweet. Um, but that running, um, I, th I think he might have lasted a long time on the ground if I would have left him where he was. He and, and I think by pushing him, I actually made him suffer less than he would have because the damage that happened when that arrow started working its way out when he ran, it actually did all that damage inside to where it took out those organs. And I don't think that damage was done initially. So it's like, I mean, at least that's what I'm telling myself to make myself feel better for being an idiot and chasing him. <laughs> but um, either way, yeah, that right lung was completely shredded. You know, it was, it was spaghetti-esque yeah. at that point. But um, yeah, good heart out of that one. So um, liver was pretty pretty gnarly it was mangled up pretty good but yeah. um yeah it's a two inch wide broadhead so yeah it's like hey if it's gonna take down a black bear i guess it'll work on a deer too yeah i'd hope so <laughs> <laughs> so as somebody that has come from you know you, you said yourself you have a pretty extensive knowledge of rifles and firearms and that kind of stuff so coming from that background into archery what has been the biggest challenge all of it. All of it. <laughs> it is, uh, you would think it's like, oh, yeah, this is not going to be that big of a deal. It's just you're, you're shooting a different weapon system. Yeah, it's true. I mean, fundamentals are fundamentals. You know, your, your breathing and your holds and body control and things like that. Yeah, those are all fundamentals. But there's nothing that uh, the first time you, you launch an arrow out of a bow you can't equate that to anything you do with a rifle. Yeah. There's absolutely nothing like it in the firearms world. I mean, even I would venture to say crossbows because you're still shooting that, that rifle style. Right. There's nothing that compares to it. It's, it's a completely different animal. And that was, you know, again, going back to learning curves, it was like, Oh, this is way different than I thought it was going to be. So here I am out there every single morning after work, you know, getting off a third shift and I get home First thing I'm doing before I even change clothes is I'm dragging out that target and I'm getting the bow out. I'm making sure everything's tied on it and going out there and I'm ripping off 25 arrows every single day for three months before I even decided that I was going to shoot archery yeah. in October. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, there was a lot, a whole lot. And it didn't help when my sight ring fell off. <laughs> I remember that, yeah. For about six <laughs> weeks, that was, that was pretty sweet too. So yeah, after the release issue, I got that situated. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm good to go. And about two weeks later, my sight ring falls off. I'm like, really? <laughs> Why so, me? <laughs> yeah. So, but that's when you showed me the, uh, the adjustable sights and everything, you know, with your, your windage and elevation and all that. And I was like, oh, I really like that one. Yeah. Doing the range and everything. Yeah. So that's always been in the back of my mind since my sight ring fell off and I talked to you about it. So, yeah, yeah. Somebody's probably going to get some money out of me. Yeah. At some Man, point. It, it, it's a journey, you know? Yeah. You sink all this money into, into archery or hunting, whatever it might be. But, you know, speaking about archery specifically, it, it is, uh, it's a process, you know, mm -hmm. there, there's no, there's no end goal, you know, it's just, you, you go where it takes you and then, you know, upgrade your equipment you find something mm -hmm. new you find something you like better you change something up you don't like it you change it again it's just yeah it's it's a process yep. you know so and and i'm holding off on 
you know, getting like super crazy with arrow builds and things like that just yet. Um, cause I want to get the, the bow itself. I want to get that legit, like that this is perfect. This is exactly how I want it. Okay. Now let's dial in the arrows. And cause I mean, to me, that's I, what I'm shooting right now. They're basically the, they're what gold tip rejects or something like that. So yeah. they're made in the same company. You know, it's, they just have a different label on them and they're cheaper. Yeah. So yeah, I'm all about that until I learn how to actually do what I'm supposed to do. So that way I don't really feel bad about losing a $6 shaft or anything. You know, I yeah. feel bad about the $20 broadhead, but not the $6. Yeah. Shaft. man, you like, for me, I'm at to the point where arrows are so expensive. It's like, man, I got to shoot pass throughs. <laughs> I got to <laughs> get this thing back. <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was one of the other things somebody at work was talking to me about was, you know, if it didn't pass through, you know, let's get your arrow weight and everything. Let's get that figured out. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. You know, so it's just for the amount of time that I'm going to spend doing, doing bow hunting, it's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to focus on this this year. And then next year we'll focus on the next thing. And then I, at some point I'll probably have to get it restrung. And then, you know, when I get it restrung, that's when we'll do the whole arrow thing. And, and, you know, and, and, Obviously, I have no real clue what I'm talking about. It's just a guessing game for me, but that's that's why I, I uh, that's why I was really happy when you moved in, <laughs> <laughs> found out what you did. So I was like, yeah. Well, right. uh, we uh, there's we both kind of can complement each other's weaknesses because while I can I can nerd out with archery the way you can nerd out with firearms, but I I don't know a whole my i have a base level of knowledge when it comes to guns and mm -hmm. and that goes back to the first time that i ever met you yep. was standing on your front porch with an ar-15 in my <laughs> hand hey can you take a look at this All thing right. <laughs> let's get to work and we had it working yeah we got it working we had it working a few hours later it was good to go so yeah but uh another thing we want to talk about that you have going on for you over there across the way is um not exclusively related to hunting, but you and you even mentioned it briefly earlier on, your woodworking, the stuff that you do there. How did you get into that? That was too cheap to pay somebody else to do it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> That's pretty much it. I you know, a few years ago those the wooden flags started becoming very very popular and uh and a lot of veterans were starting companies that did that and you know, I'm just like, well, yeah, I'm not going to pay you 200 bucks to do something that I know is only going to cost me 40 bucks at Home Depot. Yeah. You know, so I went and I got the wood and everything. And, you know, of course, YouTube, you can get a YouTube PhD in almost any subject at this point. So, uh, I got my associate's degree in woodworking off of uh, YouTube <laughs> and figured out how to do this. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I did it. And then, you know, of course, like everything else you do, you post it on Facebook or Instagram or something like that. So, you know, I, I posted it and I've got friends that are just like, Hey man, can you make me one? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So, you know, I made a few here and there and, and, uh, and I can't remember even how it really got started. Cause at that point it was like four or five and, uh, you know, and that was pretty much it. Cause I, I, I went and got some clamps, which you can always use clamps around the house or doing something. I mean, so I had the clamps there and it was no big deal. And then all of a sudden, um, it got to a thing where I, I started making them for people I didn't know, you know, and these were, you know, friends of friends or something like that. And it got to a point where I ended up making, I think it was 
13 or 14 of my minis wow. in a month. Wow. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, you know, when, when you see the speed at which I can throw one out now. You're just like, oh, man, 13 a month. That's like, you know, no big deal. At the time, I was doing it hand by hand with a Dremel. Oh, wow. 14 of those things in 30 days. And now, bear in mind, I wasn't doing them on my off or my days that I worked. It was like crammed into eight days. So I milled out 14 of these things Holy by cow. hand in eight days. I couldn't make a fist with my right hand. <laughs> and, I, and, you know, that's when I talked to the wife. I was like, hey, if I'm going to keep doing this, we got to get a CNC machine. Mm-hmm. There's no way my hand can handle doing this many you know, and these were all small ones. This wasn't even a big one. Yeah. And then, you know, your detail, like your Eagle Globe and Anchor for the Marine Corps that takes like four hours to mill by hand. Wow. Just just the emblem. That's not counting the stars or anything else. So we ended up getting the CNC machine and, you know, it, it kind of blossomed as a hobby from there. And, of course, you know, I mean, at that point, I, all the money that I was making from it, you know, we'd do gun shows and things like that. But all the money I was making from it just paid off the machines. And we just kept buying more machines and more stuff, you know, and, and it's like, okay, at some point, if this keeps going this way, we're going to actually have to like go legit. And that was the plan moving out here was to, you know, rebrand and go legit, which I have rebranded already. I mean, it's just, we're just waiting because, you know, like archery, I know a lot about business. (laughs) (laughs) So we got to get a few things situated before we we really do the kickoff on this whole thing but but everything's there i mean infrastructure wise i've got i've got the cnc machines now and and i look back at my earlier stuff you know the first things that i did and it's just like man that, that thing's ugly and they're like dude you were doing it by hand with a dremel tool yeah. Like, yeah i know but it's ugly man that's how anybody is as you mature into a craft or or a trade or something like that because i i can remember like with with fall obsessed fall obsession or video editing and stuff like that you know i go back and look at things that we that i produced four or five years ago and it's like that probably shouldn't still be online i should probably delete that So, yeah, it, and it's it's very true. I mean, it doesn't matter what you're doing. I'm going to look back on that, you know, that first bow kill that I had, and I was like, oh, you know, about five <laughs> years of like cringing every time I think about that one. Yeah. You know, but it is what it is. You know, you, you, you mature into whatever you're doing and, you know, starting with the woodworking, doing it by hand with a Dremel, and now I've got, you know, massive machines in there that I'll do a, I'll do a 48-inch long flag in – two and a half hours. Yeah. That would have taken me two and a half weeks mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. So, you know, I can have these things done that fast. I mean, so it's just a matter of getting things set up and, you know, especially getting that, uh, that nice big shop that I so desperately desire. Yeah. I think we all do out here. Yes. So. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Setting up and tearing down every time I change phases on, on woodworking is not the way to do it. That's yeah. not efficient. So yeah. And in, in order to actually have a, a, sustainable business out of this even if it is a part-time you know side business it still has to be efficient i can't be efficient in the situation that we're in now so yes just we're waiting yeah well very cool what's a tell us about the name too because i like your story behind behind your name so the first name was wood torches and toxic masculinity because (laughs) i i'm i'm a bit of an internet troll 
times. <laughs> and that whole thing came out, you know, as kind of a, it's, it's a one-off, it's a play on everything that was going on in society, you know, and, and kind of what I did. I mean, I played with wood, I played with the fire. So there's the wood and the torches and everything, but you know, guys like me were, were toxic masculinity. So I'm like, okay, well, cool. There's that too. Yeah. So why not? Yeah. So I just not? did that. It was kind of a joke and everybody pretty much by and large got it. You know, everybody knew it was, it was a funny, you know, wasn't anything serious. So never really got any blowback on that. Everybody thought it was a good time. Um, but it's kind of a lot when you're, when you're actually looking at doing a business, it's like, yeah, there's a lot of letters in there. Yeah. So we wanted to shorten it up and, you know, as a, as a nod kind of to my, my first unit that I was in and, and, uh, you know, the, the veteran side, I wanted to keep that connected because, you know, that's, that's where I came from this, you know, I mean, that whole veteran side, that's where these flags came from by and large. That's, that's who started it. You know, so, I mean, I'm just piggybacking on what other guys are doing, mm -hmm. you know, of course, expanding some of my own things too, you know, with like the cutting boards and stuff like that. Um, you know, it's it, those things I like doing more, but as far as the name, I was like, we've got to do something. So I'm talking to my friends and everything and we're, we're just spitballing all kinds of ideas. And I'm like, wow, these are terrible. <laughs> this is some <laughs> of the worst names <laughs> that I've ever seen. Um, and then, uh, there was a couple of things, you know, my, my unit that I deployed with my first time, uh, the, the company nickname was Wolfpack. And, uh, so that made obviously our company commander was Wolf six. And he, I mean, I've had a lot of company commanders and, you know, I don't want any of them to think that, you know, I think less of them, but seeing the ferocity in which, or hearing about it, I wasn't there, but hearing about the ferocity in which he took control on one of the worst days that we had as a unit in Afghanistan and hearing those types of things. And, and, you know, what the guys on the ground had actually said about how he operated that day. I was just like, yeah, that's my guy. So yeah. the whole thing is pretty much a nod to, to, uh, then captain Lucas and, uh, yeah, who's now retired and living the good life hunting antelope. There you go. Yeah, yeah, he's he's having a rough time. Um, so it was a nod to him because I mean he was also one of the most personal officers that I've ever been around too. There's it didn't matter if you were an E8 or if you were an E1, he would talk to you, you know, about anything. If you had an issue, if you just you know hanging out, smoking and joking, whatever it was, he yeah. would be out there with you. He wasn't afraid to get dirty. He, you know, that was just one of those things. And he was, he was largely influential on, you know, the stuff that I did. He's, he's talked to me about, you know, when I considered doing, you know, OCS and things like that, you know, he was right there, you know, he's like, Hey, you need a letter. I'll get you a letter. You know I mean? There's never a hesitation with him. So yeah, yeah it was definitely a nod to him, a uh, nod to, you know, Bravo company, the wolf pack, you know, yeah. and all that good stuff. So, that's awesome. so yeah, that's, that's where that whole name came from. And uh, then the logo itself was just kind of all the conglomeration of all the different things. You know, you have, I did a little bit of research on where I came from too. And um, it turns out that, you know, I got a little bit of that Viking in me, I guess. So <laughs> I can tell by the weird, beard, yeah. <laughs> weird, huh? Um, so yeah, there's a little splash of that in my DNA too. So some of that's incorporated in there. It's just, it, there's, a, there's a whole lot going on in there and it's yeah. all got a piece. That's awesome. Very cool. 
Well, before we head to, I, we always ask some standard questions to first-time guests on the podcast in kind of our closing. But before we get to that point, you have a story. Oh, I do. That you have been withholding from me. I have. At, for this purpose, to share it on this podcast regarding the conclusion to the 2022 hunting season for you. Yeah, it's, uh, I would have never, ever thought in a million years that I would have been able to do this. Oh boy. <laughs> but this is just, I don't know. I mean, this whole season has been really weird. Like I, there was things that I did that I, I shouldn't have been able to do. There's things that I, I don't know. It's just weird. I mean, I, I didn't think I was going to tag, you know, anything this year, let alone do what I did. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's not saying like, oh, I'm awesome or anything like that. It's just like, oh, well, that was a happy accident. Yeah, it's you surprising. Know, it's really what it is. Um, it's just sheer dumb luck. I mean, from moving into a deer-infested 15-acre property to, you know, everything else. I mean, it's just all happy accidents. Um, and next year, I'll probably roll a donut as payment for this. <laughs> so, but, so here I am, my last weekend out at the deer lease. And it's getting dark and I didn't get my float day approved for the following day. So I was literally 40 minutes from shutdown because I wasn't going to be able to hunt again. Yeah. Nothing at the feeder, nothing on the peripheral, nothing. I look out 12 o'clock, almost directly into the sun. I was probably, I don't know, 15, 20 degrees to the right of the sun. Looking there and I see a couple of black spots on the hill. Now I range this out. This is almost 700 yards away. Wow. I'm not taking that shot. Yeah. I mean, I'm good, but I'm not that good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's, that's not a shot I'm ever going to take on a deer. Yeah. So, okay, well, they don't look like they're too interested in coming towards me. You know, so there was nothing about the corn that was spectacular. They're just grazing. They're just living their best life. Enter me. And uh, I decided, well, I'm going to stalk them. Cause I've, I've stalked this many times in my life before <laughs> a big old donut. <laughs> yeah. So this is dope. Um, so I get, I, I traveled 450 yards very quickly. Now understand that the rifle that I'm shooting is it's a, it's a Ruger American, but I pulled the guts out and I put an MDT ESS chassis on it, which is solid aluminum. I mean, this whole thing is, it weighs about 20 pounds. Wow. It's not a brush buster. Yeah. So I've got this boat anchor that I'm carrying along and I get up to the edge of the tree line. Now I'm, I'm slowing down at that point because I'm starting to climb uphill into their field of vision. So I'm slowing down and, you know, just super deliberate, very slow steps. And, and I got about 200 yards away from the one. So I know what I'm zeroed at, at a hundred. I know what the ballistics are of the six, five round. So I'm like, okay, cool made a real quick adjustment, lit the round off. She's hit. I knew she was hit right off the bat. She takes off. She goes down about 30 yards away. I'm like, cool. Yeah. Cool. I got two doe tags, just filled one. Walk up there and I'm not trying to be quiet at this. I just shot and yeah, know, there's, there's no suppressor on this thing. So yeah, yeah, cool. We're good. So I'm just kind of traipsing out there, you know, just whatever, snapping twigs and moving trees and, you know, doing whatever. And I get about 50 yards out of the tree line, making a beeline towards this down doe. 
And I look over to my left, and there's another doe staring at me 80 yards away. And I was like, hmm. ooh, what do I do? I had that moment of panic, and I'm like, ooh, do I – went in Rome. Yeah. <laughs> Shot her. Wow. Well, she took off running because, I mean, a 20-pound rifle, all of a sudden my adrenaline spiked. I'm not holding – I mean – you know, I was, I held center mass on her, but I didn't know, I didn't have time to adjust off of that 200 and that wasn't at the forethought of my mind. So yeah. what I ended up doing is I hit low on that because she was so close and uh, I hit low and I, I went through I, underneath her heart, but I went through inside the breastbone and blew out her right arm. Wow. So she's, she's hurt. She knows she's hurt. And I yeah. caught up with her. I was like, man, what do I go for? Do I go for this one. Do I go for that one. What do I do? I go for the one that I think is probably still alive. So I went after her and, uh, and get down there and I see her and she's hurt. She knows she's hurt. And I'm like, okay, I had to put her down quick. So rack another round and I'm still about that 75 yard range. Totally slipped my mind about making my adjustment back again. Yeah. <laughs> this time it was my fault. The first time it was just like scenario, you know, you kind of, right. you know, you're going to forget something, but this time this is just me being stupid. And, and I hit her again. She doesn't move. I'm like, what? Run another round through, hit her again. And then she takes off around. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> so come to find out that, um, and I don't know how it even happened, but my knob, my windage knob got rolled. Oh. So I was shooting about a foot and a half to the right. Okay. So I was hitting her through the gut. And thankfully she ended up, she went down, you know, after that third shot and she went down. Now, bear in mind that she was only alive for about 10 minutes. I mean, this all happened very, very quickly. Um, but yeah, I mean, got her, made sure she was down. Cause I, I was searching by flashlight. I was like, I'm not leaving until I find her, find her blood trail, something. So went through and I even called Carrie. I was like, Hey, you might have to come out here with the dogs. I know it's a two hour drive. <laughs> you know, we were getting that serious about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, then about the time I said that I look over and here she is, she's out. I was like, Oh good. So yeah, she went out quick after the, after the third round. But I think the second round, I don't even think it hit her. Really? I think it was that far off. I mean, wow. with that, with that thing being rolled. So now bear in mind what I just told you, right? I was aiming center mass on that first doe. If I'm missing by, you know, I mean, it got rolled to the point where it was like a foot off. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's at 80 yards. So it's about, I don't know, 14, 15 inches off at 200 yards. That's a big, big variance. I'm like, mm -hmm. where did I hit this doe? I got up there. I hit her in the neck. Really? It was a one in a million dumb luck shot. Yeah. I don't even know how any of this happened, but I dropped two does in five minutes at ranges I hadn't zeroed on a rifle that had been adjusted without my knowledge by accident. <laughs> wow. What a finale. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, I, yeah, that was, that was like, okay, this, is, this just culminates. I'm, I'm not shooting a deer next year at all. They're not even going to give me a chance. <laughs> With as much just dumb luck that I've had this year, you know, going from, you know, the 10-pointer, that, that was the other deer that I missed with the bow. I, I nicked his back, and that was because um, I had a shirt on that was a little too poofy on the forearms, and mm -hmm. it caught the bowstring, and it just slapped it just enough they'll do that sailed it up and it went right over his back and you know that blade just ever so slightly grazed his skin 
And, but of course the speed that it's going, you know, it, it cut them open. It was about a two inch cut because of their flat back and everything, mm. but it was just, just real light Nick. That's hmm. all it did. But I ended, he ended up coming back and he gave me a rifle shot. Yeah. So came full circle on that, but I never thought I'd see that deer again. Yeah. Deer that size. Yeah. I didn't deserve to see that deer again after what I did, but he came back. So that's why I say, I mean, like the, the, the things that happened this year, a lot of them shouldn't have happened. There's no reason that I should have even made contact with that first doe. There's no reason that that second doe should have been standing there. There's no reason the 10 pointer should have come back. I mean, why? Yeah. So, and that's, there's no rhyme or reason for it other than, well, I better enjoy it this year because next year's probably going to be horrible. <laughs> well, I mean. Stuff like that happens to everybody. You know, I, I always say you haven't hunted unless you've experienced frustration like like that. You you got it all. It sounds like you got all the frustrations and all the joys at the same time in the same season. So that's a bit of a roller coaster. Yeah, but. I like to pack it in. I like to, like to do it all at once. Why not? Yeah, get it all out of the way. But no, well, that that's a, that's a crazy story for sure. And an ending you probably won't soon forget no there's i I just i couldn't believe it two and five minutes and i mean granted that it wasn't the cleanest thing ever but just the fact is like okay well i just tagged out on my last day at the very last moment of legal light yeah and now i'm done yeah and then the work started because you know what happens after that and you know what i'm the other thing i'm doing you're not done i am not taking it to the meat processor either so that was a whole learning curve too oh yeah you and me both, because we're, we're both in that boat uh-huh. this year. So, yeah, doing it ourselves. But, but that meat grinder makes it nice and easy. It does. Yeah, Our so I, I shot two deer this year, and our first one we used my in-law's little hand crank. <laughs> and then, <laughs> so I, I ask you to borrow your, your sealer on the first yeah. one, and I have my in-law's hand crank, and I go to take the sealer back, and you're unpacking the brand new <laughs> <laughs> nice big grinder. <laughs> Golly, came and talk. Nice big grinder. And I'm like, well, dang it. <laughs> I needed that. Yeah, hey, I got this thing. So the second one, you were gracious enough to let me borrow that as well. And that uh, that made what was a, a – granted, it should – I don't know if it should be a four-hour job or not. It took me four hours on the second one, but it took me about six hours on the first <laughs> one. So <laughs> – yeah, the, the 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 trick I learned on that thing is you got to keep the meat really really cold. Yeah. Otherwise, it turns into just some disgusting paste. Yeah. And that was one of those things that I had heard it be said on multiple, you know, tutorials and shows and podcasts and everything. I heard it a hundred times. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then you experience it for experience real, and you're just it, like, yeah. oh god, this is really gross. Yeah. So, yeah, made sure the meat was almost frozen every single time I put it through that grinder after that. Yeah. So, but yeah, it makes short work of a, of a grind pile. Absolutely did. Yeah. And I took that advice too on keeping it cold and it turned out yep. just, just fine. So, well, man, we always have a couple questions that we like to ask our, our first time podcast guests. Um, the first one being, what is one of your favorite and you may have already even talked about it but what's one of your favorite hunting memories and tell us about it uh the one the one i had the most fun with was you know i got way more excited over over this shot than any of the other shots and it's from this year 
Um, and I'm sure it'll get replaced really quickly once my daughter starts getting into it and she lays her first deer down. Um, that's probably going to replace it in a heartbeat. But um, I was out there with, with my wife and she was behind the trigger. And we had, you know, these this 8, 9, and 10 that we really had our, our eyes on. And, uh, and the one the, that I culled out with the bow, that wasn't one of them. Yeah. So they were still alive. And we see one come in and I'm glassing it and she's glassing it and I'm looking on the camera. I'm like, man, I can't tell. I can't tell. I don't know. I don't know if he's the 10. I don't know if he's, I don't know. He's a nine for sure. So, and I was like, if you want him, take him, you know, and, and the lead up to this was, um, apparently somebody didn't cook something all the way through because I was rumbling really <laughs> loud in that deer blind. And she was looking over at me with these dagger eyes every time my stomach. What do you want me to do? <laughs> so I'm making all kinds of noise up there and trying not to. And she's trying to get targeted. And every time, you know, my stomach does a hula hoop, it, you know, I'm starting to laugh <laughs> and everything's snickering and she's having fun with it too. But, you know, she got real serious when that deer came in and, and, uh, it was, it was the coolest thing because she did something that I didn't see anybody. I've only seen one video where this, where somebody does this, but she hit this deer and laid him down right there at the feeder. Wow. And he didn't run nothing. She just completely gone, done. And I got way more excited over that, her, her getting that shot and the fact that I didn't have to chase anything. That was really <laughs> exciting for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was, that was probably the coolest thing. And uh, what made it even better was when we got back to camp, um, and of course I you know, get the field dress and everything done, hung him up and everything, and, and we go out the next morning and when we got back to camp, we didn't see anything that morning. We get back there, and here comes uh, one of the other hunters and his son. And they come strolling up, and both of them had big, dumb grins on their face. And this isn't like a specific memory of one shot or anything. This is like the entire 24-hour period. Yeah. It was just epic. He, I mean, in my mind, he comes in and does like this, you know, Dukes of Hazard, you know, 180 with his side-by-side. -side, and he's <laughs> like, look what we got. He's got a, two nine pointers back there too. Wow! So he had like I, I think one might have had a broken time, so it was an eight or something like that. But um, yeah, basically three nine pointers that we had shot in about twelve hours. Wow, that's between, awesome. Between the two, um, but they shot theirs. His son got the first one, and then I think his his came thirty minutes later. Wow! Same stand. Really. Thirty minutes apart. Wow. So. But yeah, it was a it was a neat picture, and I think I might have shown you that picture with all three of them. Yes, you uh, yeah, did. Yeah, we lined yeah, them all up that. there, and and Carrie and the other two guys that were out there with their deer. So we had all three of them lined up, and that was like that was that was a really cool weekend. That was that was the weekend where everybody had a lot of fun out there. Yeah, you know, and and that's what deer leases are are for. You know, I mean. Yeah. or at least part of it yeah that's hunting camp that's yeah. that's what that is so. yeah and everybody was said there was no no measure in or anything like that it was all just like everybody was happy that somebody knocked something down yeah you know i got another buddy that was out there his wife shot a doe the day before carrie got hers i think um but i told him i was like don't worry about taking it to meat processor we'll go ahead and quarter it out she transport it back and then all she got to do is throw the whole cooler in the freezer yeah and I'll deal with it from there. I'll just grind it all, the whole thing, you know. So, I mean, we did stuff like that. But we were just, like, everybody was so happy out there that weekend. It was just a good time. Yeah. That's so, awesome. Yeah. That's definitely probably the – that's the number one right now. But, like I said, it's going to get replaced as soon as Asha gets her, her bow set up done or she gets behind the trigger. Yeah. 
So. Absolutely. No, I, I can imagine. Uh, next question. Um, what is a bucket list hunt that you would love to do that you haven't gotten to do yet? Well, again, all of them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've seen the, the videos with the bear hunts and stuff like that, and it just doesn't – it's like, yeah, it'd be cool, but that's not one of the things that just really gets me going. Honestly, I I, I really like the, the elk hunts mm-hmm. that I keep seeing. You know, you look at that, and I don't necessarily want to – you know, moose is like that's, – that's a bit much. Um, that's a lot. But yeah. the elk is – that's one that I want to do at some point. And it doesn't matter if it's archery or rifle. I mean, granted way cooler doing it with archery because you have to call them in and you're, you're out there, you're really putting the work in yeah. on it. And the only downside to bow hunting elk is it looks like your failure rate is exponentially more than your success rate. Yeah. It's more challenging for uh, sure. So, so yeah, but there's just a lot that goes in with that. And that's one of those things where, you know, it would, it would it would have to be with a guide because you know again I know a lot about hunting. So. <laughs> you never uh, you never know your your uh, your luck might carry into the into the elk elk scene as well. So maybe maybe <laughs> it's got to be this year then. <laughs> <laughs> Better get cracking, yeah. Oh man, well um, the the third and final question that we like to ask is always related in some form or fashion to the the conversation that we've had um so i'll i'll take it back to just the the archery side i guess of your adventures this year if you had to give a piece of advice to somebody in your shoes eight months ago or however long it was what would you what would you say uh a lot uh, study just pay attention to what the guys that have been doing it for a long time are doing and uh, and that was one of the things that that I made sure I did was I paid attention. You know, I would just look up YouTube videos with, you know, Texas whitetail bow hunting mm-hmm. and just watch them. And some of them I'm just looking at these guys like, all right, y'all clowns. And then <laughs> there's other ones where it's like, oh, that, yeah, that's legit. You know, and then I'm, I'm looking up, you know, how to, how to zero. I'm like, I didn't know how to zero bow. Yeah. It's not the same as a rifle, yeah. you know? So, I mean, I'm looking up all that stuff. I mean, it's, it's like anything else. If you're going to, if you're going to make the investment in it, I mean, the, the best thing I would say is, is really make that time investment too. Yeah. A monetary investment is one thing, but you can have a $10,000 setup on a 50, you know, Barrett or something like that and not have a single clue how to hit that one mile target because you don't know anything about the ballistics. Yep. Well, it's the same thing as with archery, you know, you, got to know how to use the equipment that you, that you're buying otherwise it's just a waste of money it's something pretty to put on a wall yeah and by putting that time investment in you'll get a much bigger return now i mean i wouldn't consider my return big as far as like meat in the freezer because it was just that one but the amount of knowledge that i gained this year through making all these mistakes and and some of them were mistakes that i even I knew about, I knew they were mistakes when I did them anyway, just for whatever reason, you know, I mean, oh, I can do it different. I can, I can make this work, you know, whatever it is. No, you can't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I was going to say it's, it's, you, you have gained, you, you have one deer under your belt, your first deer with a bow and you've gained some 
invaluable experience, you know, that will only benefit you moving forward. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, rightfully so. And and oddly enough, the first deer that I've ever taken other than with a car, (laughs) um, first deer I ever took hunting, like intentionally taking a deer, was with a weapon that I had never used before in my life. Yeah. A weapon system that I'd never used before in my life. Wow. I hadn't thought of it like that. That's crazy. Wow. So I thought that was interesting too. That was just another one of those takeaways. Like you don't have to go. I mean, yeah, you want to know your way around what you're using. But, you know, and again, going back to that prep time, put the time investment into it. You know, I, I was listening to like the Black Rifle guys talking about going up and shooting elk and everything. And like Evan Hafer saying he's shooting like 80 arrows a day on the month leading up to the elk hunt. I don't know if that's true or not, but right. 80 arrows. I'm like, well, if he's doing 80, I mean, I've never done this before. So I'm thinking like maybe 20, 25 a day. And that's where I got that from. Yeah. You know, just, I mean, he's putting the time investment in. So if, if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me, man. That That's what, that's what we, I encourage folks to do. And it, it doesn't even have to be a number. Now, obviously if you are going out West or stuff like that, you know, there's a little bit more prep involved with mm-hmm. that. And, and I know when, when we did that for a couple of years and planning on doing it this next year, you know, we'll be sure that we're spending time with some, some longer ranges. Now I have the space to do it at my own place. So that's, yeah. that's kind of yeah. nice. But. Well, if you need to go longer, I mean, I know it's a long drive, but I've got, I've got a little room <laughs> back there too. Yeah. I'm, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll find a, a day where I can make it work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's, you know, you, you adjust and you do what you can, but the important thing is just, and as you know, the repetition and, mm-hmm. you know, doing it every single day, whether it's 20 or 80 or five or 50, yep. you know, just getting out there and, and shooting your bow. There's another, I mean, I know a lot of people watch the, the working class bow hunter podcast and that's, that's their motto behind their podcast is just go shoot your bow. And yeah. it's so simple and yeah, serves yep. a good purpose. So. Uh, eventually you'll figure out something that you're like, man, I just don't like this. You yeah. know, you'll, you'll find these little tweaks that you make. You're like, oh, if I do this, yeah. you know, and, and some of it might just, you know, it might be something that's like, oh, duh, I should have probably done, done that a year ago. But then there's other stuff. It's like, well, everybody's saying this doesn't work, but it works really well for me. Yeah. And that's the whole thing, too. I mean, there's there's people, I mean, when you're talking trigger squeeze, there's people that say, oh, you only shoot with your fingertip. And then there's other guys that, you know, like they'll curl their entire finger around the trigger and, you know, some of the best shots I've ever seen. It's just ridiculous. But, yeah. you know, just... It's, it's whatever you're comfortable doing as long as it's not just a, you know, a, a terrible technique. Yeah. And that's one of the big things. But, you know, even, even with, with rifles, I mean, I've got my daughter was down in the middle of the floor with the bullet gun. <laughs> and she was shooting potato chip bags in the pantry. <laughs> but she was literally just, you know, I told her, I was like, yeah, go ahead. Get behind it and get used to it. Yeah. And she was back there and she was rolling the bolt back and doing everything she needed to do. And... She'd make that trigger squeeze after she got her her sight picture, and I'm good with it. Yeah. So. Yeah, repetition. Well, Mike, uh, we'll wrap up the podcast for for this episode, but I really appreciate you coming over and spending some time to share yeah. your story and and your many experiences. It's been awesome. I appreciate you having me. I was honestly, when I texted you that day, I was totally joking. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't, man. This is what I love. I love getting people on the podcast that, you know, have 
have these unique experiences or unique stories, interesting stories, whatever the case might be. And, you know, given, give them an outlet to, to share it with more people because I, you know, for all I know, my, nobody else might ever know about that. You know, that you go back through our guest list and our podcast and there's, you can pick out quite a few people that names you've never heard from, mm-hmm. but they're, they're interesting individuals. And that's one thing that we want to do through this is tell their story. So, yeah. And there's, there's always something, you know, whether it's things not to do, which I wrote the book on that this year, <laughs> um, or things to do, uh, there's always something. I mean, everybody's got this one thing and you can either take it or leave it, but yeah. there's always options out there. You can always learn from somebody else. And, you know, especially, you know, one of the things that's still hard for me too is, but you know, when, when somebody comes up and critiques you, I mean, we all like to think we're perfect and I'm pretty close, but <laughs> there's a few things, you know, like somebody should have slapped me upside the head when I put a ghillie suit on during bow season and said, no, <laughs> no, stop. But, you know, it is what it is. It is. But, you know, I mean, I'm sure somebody out there makes ghillie suits work with a bow. Yeah. I'm sure there's a bunch of people out there that do that. But probably on uh probably me. probably find it on youtube university i'd imagine oh i'm so, sure yeah i'm sure but yeah it's definitely not me i'm i'm completely abandoning the ghillie suit idea <laughs> when it comes to archery yeah there you go <laughs> well for our, our listeners our viewers thank you all for tuning in to another week's episode if you haven't already hit follow and subscribe whatever platform you're listening on we're on all major podcast platforms as well as our youtube channel carbon tv um, and our website, fallobsession.com. So be sure that you subscribe and turn your notifications on. We put out a new podcast episode every single Monday morning. Um, you can also listen to our podcast on uh, the Outdoor Call Radio app or uh, 1350 ESPN with uh, Outdoors Dan over there in the Midwest. Um, fallobsession.com is our website. That is the hub. That's where you guys can go to find all of our content um, right there as well as our apparel. And then be sure that you go to the social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Go Wild, and follow Fall Obsession on those. We post daily um, information relevant to you guys and where you hunt in different areas across the country. So um, last but not least, Ridge Rock Hunt Company. They're the podcast partner. Derek and Lacey over there in Mississippi, they do a great job of setting up folks with trusted and vetted outfitters across the country. Um, Derek has a, a very big network of outfitters in North America, and he will uh, work with you as far as price, timeline, licensing, all that kind of stuff to get you set up with a good experience. So Ridge Rock Hunt Company, go check them out on Facebook, Instagram, and their website. Thanks again, man. We'll do yeah, it again sometime. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you all for tuning in. We're back again next week for another episode, and we'll catch you then. <laughs>